0: How we doing? We're good. A few weeks ago, my family and I were invited to a couple's house for supper. Apparently, they knew my love language was smoked meat. So the husband said, hey, do you want to bring your wife and kids over? I'm going to smoke some ribs. Should be a good time. Said, let me check my schedule. Yeah, I'm free. Yeah, let's do that. Smoked ribs sound awesome. So we are going to go over there. The problem is Uh, I've never been to this couple's house before. Now, this did not worry me because it's 2016. I've got an iPhone, right? Got the address, plug it in. Siri's going to tell me exactly what to do. Worked every other time I've used it. There's no reason why she shouldn't work now. Well, there's a first time for everything because about the time I'm supposed to be gorging myself on the ribs of a pig, I am sitting in a neighborhood that is not the neighborhood I'm supposed to be in, and I have no idea where I need to go. Now, I'm in a quandary because it could be pretty easy. Maybe just call the husband, ask for directions how to get to his house. Well, what can most men not do? Ask for directions. Ask for directions. There you go. So I'm going to have to figure this out myself. So I look at my wife and say, Laura, you're going to have to call the wife and figure out how to get to their house. And she says, I don't have her number. Mm, Bummer. That's not good because I've got the husband's husband's number. Uh, I could call him, but again, I'm not going to be able to do that. Now I'm really in a quandary because if you know anything about me, you know that I hate to be late. I get irritable. It's like I'm irrational. Ever since that first day of basketball practice in college where on the dry race board was written, early is on time, on time is late, and late is rude. I have never been late. I mean, that has stuck with me all these years. And so I need to be early. It's like I get anxiety if I'm not. And I'm about to be late because I'm lost in a neighborhood and I have no idea where to go. But I'm amazing and like a world-renowned navigator, so I figured it out. No need to worry. Um, I should be on like that show CBS's Amazing Race. I mean, I figure stuff out, and I'm able to get to where I need to go. Plus, I was still about a minute early, and so it all was well within my soul. But what is the point of this story? The entire point of the story is oftentimes we think we're going one place, but we end up somewhere differently. We think we're navigating over here, but we took some wrong turns. We got some bad advice. We believed something that wasn't true and now we're lost. This isn't just about us driving either. This is true in our spiritual lives as well. Within Christianity, there are many people who think they're believing the right things. They think they're going the right place, but they have no clue. They're in for a rude awakening. It begs the question, how can we know the difference? Pastor, how can we know if we're believing the right things? I'm glad you asked that. It's next here in my notes, so that works out well. Thank you for asking that. We get our answer in a letter that a brother of Jesus wrote. His name is James. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. You can turn towards the back of your Bible to the section titled James. Conveniently, we've been in a series the past few weeks in this book of the Bible called James. And if you didn't bring a Bible, just for a record, we've got some free ones in the back. Uh, be sure to grab one on your way out. That's our gift to you. But we've just been going line by line through this text and through this letter to really try and figure out what God has to say to us here in 2016 and how this letter can apply to us because James very much wrote this letter to show people how they can mature in their faith and how you can know you have the right faith to begin with. It's really the point of this letter, which is good because has anybody else wondered why? If salvation was the point in life, how come the moment you get saved, God either doesn't just A, take you up to heaven right away, or B, why he doesn't just make your life a lot easier. I mean, if that was the point of life, of salvation, how come he couldn't even just take us up or just make things really simple? It's because salvation and having a saving faith isn't the whole story. There's a lot left for us to do. There's more to our story than that, and James tells us how we need to live it in a very real way. James is saying, guys, there's a purpose and a plan for your life. God did not leave you on this earth to just go through the motions and believe something in your head. There's much more left for you to do. So cards on the table, right out of the gates. I'm going to give you my entire sermon in one sentence. Now, I'm going to keep you after I give you that sentence, so, you know, don't, you know, get excited here. But we need to explain the sentence a little bit. But here's what we're going to talk about today. You might jot this down if you're taking notes. We're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. We're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. We can't just pack up and go home because we've got to explain a few things within that sentence like, what am I saved from? What is faith? All of that's going to be answered here in the next 30 minutes or so. So let's dive into this text. You should be there. James chapter 2, that's the big number 2, and the little number 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Rhetorical question. James knows that the people reading his letter realize you can only be saved through faith in Jesus It has nothing to do with what you do, but rather what Jesus did for you. But let's chat about this idea of salvation. What is being saved? Why do we need to be saved? Because here's what I know. We're all mainly good people. I feel like I'm a good person. I've never embezzled money, murdered anyone, slapped around my wife, shot up black tar heroin. I don't know, whatever it is. I mean, I feel like I've done pretty good for myself. Why do I need to be saved? It was kind of the entire point of last week's message, so I don't want to beat a dead horse. But the fact is, we serve a God who has a perfect law. And his perfect law says you need to do two things in your life. You need to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you need to love your neighbor as yourself. That's all you have to do. If you can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, then you don't need to be saved. But the fact is, we, none of us can do that. James tells us that even if you break one of those laws, you're guilty of all breaking all the laws because you haven't kept the perfect law, which is God's law. Give you An example of this. In order to love God with everything that you have, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is what that means. Love God with everything that you have. It means your intent in everything you do has to bring glory to God. So if I'm driving a car down the road and the speed limit is 55 miles per hour and I'm going 55, but the reason that I'm going 55 is because I like to go 55 my car performs well at that speed, I get good gas mileage, I'm relatively safe, I get there in a decent amount of time. So 55 is good for me. Then I'm not following the law with my whole heart. I'm doing it just because I like to do it. So if I'm going 55, everybody's blowing past me like 65 and 70, but a cop pulls me over and he says, man, you need to take this reward. This is fancy. You are the only person going 55. That is so admirable of you. Take this trophy. And I take that trophy because I deserve it. I was going 55. But five miles down the road, there's a school zone. The speed limit drops to 15. But I like going 55. And so I go 55 through the 15. Have I not in that moment shown the wickedness of my heart? That I'm not fully following the law because I only do what I like to do. Really, the only reason reason I kept the speed limit to begin with was because I liked that particular speed. Same thing is true with God. We don't get to pick and choose which rules we keep and which ones we don't. And if we break one, we're as guilty as the person who's broke 15. Our reward is null and void. Those broken laws, that disobedience, the Bible calls it sin. And the Bible makes it clear that we've all sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. No exceptions. We've all made a mess of our lives. Nobody has loved God with their entire heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nobody has loved their neighbors like themselves. And even if you can point back to some times that you can do that, the intent within your heart was probably selfish. And you wanted something in return for doing what you did. Just to prove my point. I know you haven't filled your entire mind this week with only the things of God. Because how much TV have you watched? How many movies have you watched? How many crazy weird novels have you read? You haven't filled your mind just this week. Nevertheless, your entire life. So you're not able to live up to God's perfect law. None of us are, myself included. We need help. We need something or someone to redeem these broken laws that we've broken, this jacked-upness in our life. We need someone or something to pay the penalty for those broken laws because there is a penalty for breaking the law. God says, don't worry, I got this. I'm going to send you my son. And he's going to keep the law, the perfect law, so that you don't have to. And he's going to die a death that was meant for you because the wages of sin is death. Which means every time you sin, you're earning death. That's what you should get by sinning. And he's going to come and he's going to beat death. And he's going to raise from the dead. And you, all you have to do is have faith in that. That Jesus has cleansed you. That he's forgiven you. And then you can be saved. But then God, through James, comes along and says, Oh, by the way, yes and amen to that whole faith thing and faith alone. But your faith can't remain alone. There's going to be some expectations for you now that I've sent you my son. And those expectations are going to show you if you're really saved or not. They don't save you. They just remind you and demonstrate to you that, yes, you're saved. Yes, you have a genuine faith in Jesus. Because, guys, get this. Jesus isn't just a savior. He's a king. He's a lord. He wants your entire life submitted to him it's not just about forgiving your sins submitting to the king of kings and lord of lords the call on your life is not to believe a theory it's to live with a purpose that purpose is to serve god let's so keep reading what good is it my brothers someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him no but we all need a saving faith verse 15 If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled with food without giving them the things that they needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, you idiot? That's what he's really saying. That the faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. within this text we need to be aware of all of them but only one of them is good only one of them is godly and only one of them is how you should be living your life with that type of faith but let's talk about all three what's the first one how can we truly know if we're followers of christ he says there's a faith that is dead faith that's dead that's verse 17 there's nothing in your life to demonstrate the fact that you've been saved by God, if there's no benchmarks in your life for you to point back to and say, no, God brought me through this. No, God has done this through me. No, God has taken me from this. No, I've done this in Jesus' name. If you don't have that, then it's possible your faith is dead. Since I've become a pastor, I've had a few people uh, talk to me in conversation, and, and when they find out what I do, they're like, oh, I've gone to church my entire life. Great. I, th- I mean, I think, I don't know why you're saying that, but uh, y'all heard that old saying, going to church doesn't make you more of a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger, right? Uh, that's kind of what we're getting at here. There's got to be some benchmarks in your life. Going to church is not that benchmark. There needs to be some other things within your life to demonstrate your faith. Needs to be some evidence in your life of a life transformed. Otherwise, you're still dead in your trespasses. All you've earned is that death sentence. Faith is dead. It means nothing. Here's what else James says. He says there's number two. You can have a faith that's deceived. A faith that's deceived. That's verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, having sound doctrine and knowledge and accuracy about God doesn't necessarily qualify you to be anything more than a demon. Congratulations, right? Believing in God doesn't qualify you to be anything more than a demon. In all honesty, you might be very moral and very religious and very good at keeping all the rules, but James says that might not be anything more than shuddering. You're keeping the rules because you're nervous If your faith is coming from a place of, oh, I better do this. God's got that whole cancer thing. He's got the whole hell thing. If your faith is coming from a place where you were a kid and your mom and dad came up to you and said, hey, do you want to go to heaven with mommy and daddy? Or would you like to burn in an eternal hellfire where your face melts off every single day? The kids are like, I I choose heaven, right? With you guys, that's where I want to be. Like that's a deceived kind of faith. Just because you can tell me who God is and who Jesus is doesn't mean you're a Christian. Even the demons know, and they're nervous about it. So what's the difference? It's easy, a transformed life. Evidence of a transformed life. It's verse 22, a faith that is active with works. Here's how I want you to write it down. Faith that is dynamic, dynamic kind of faith text. James is saying, I want to show you how you can know you're saved, not how you get saved, not how you become saved, not how to become right with God. We've already established we do that through faith in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, but I want to show you how to know you're living a dynamic, faith-filled life. I want to show you how you can know you're doing more than just shuddering. I want to show you how you can prove to yourself and to the people in your life that you're saved. And it's done with the intent behind your works. He says that's done by having a dynamic kind of faith. Great, Pastor, what's a dynamic kind of faith? Three things. Number one, dynamic faith steps out. Dynamic faith steps out. Doesn't just sit idly by. Dynamic faith doesn't just know things in your head. Dynamic faith takes risks. It tries new things. It isn't scared to let people know that there's a God who loves them and has a plan for their life. Dynamic faith steps out. Anybody else tried to convince their kid to jump into the pool before? Just show of hands. They get a little nervous about that, right? Uh, They want to, you as a parent, you want to show them that the pool is awesome. So you stand on the at kind of the edge of the pool, and you're kind of trying to coax them, and you'll be like, come here, jump to me, come on, jump to me. My kids can clearly see I'm like one. the water is up to my knees, there's nothing to be scared about, they probably won't even touch it the moment they jump, but they say, I don't know, Dad, please come just a little bit closer. And I'm like, my feet are touching the side, there, there's no closer, son. you got to just jump in the water, but they don't. So what do you do? You walk over, you grab them, you pick them up, and you try and show them that the pool is awesome. What do they do? Latch on, scream like some kind of spider monkey that they're going to get wet, but you're trying to convince them this is going to be awesome. You're going to love this. There's going to be a moment in time when I'm going to have to give you threats of violence just to get you out of the pool. Please just jump in the pool to me but there's nervousness. There's angst. If you're like me, you're just trying to reason. Have I tried to drown you in the bathtub, son? No. Why would I do it in public with all of these people staring at me? Please just jump into the water. But they don't want to. Trust me, son, if I wanted to kill you, I would have done it already. Okay, just get into this water and swim around with me. You're going to love it. I've never said that, okay? So don't judge me. Don't tell my wife I said that either. But this is what's happening with dynamic faith. God is saying, jump in. You're going to love this. You're going to find this to be awesome. When you do what I say, when you don't do what I say to not do, when you follow the rules, it's going to give you freedom. All that you want is found in this direction. Just jump in. All that you desire and you hope for is this way. Step out in faith. That's a dynamic kind of faith, but we're nervous about it. Like the kids standing on the side of a pool. And until you jump in, you'll never really understand the delight of what swimming looks like. And you'll never understand the delight of what God has for your life. Faith without works is ineffective because dynamic faith leads you to a trust in God. And so those moments in life when you're down, you're wondering, what is God doing? Where is he going to be? When you have dynamic faith, you know that I just got to take one next step because he might be on my next step or the next one or the next one. Dynamic faith pushes you into the presence of God, causes an overflow out of you and into the lives of others. Dynamic faith is not scared to show others how much you love Jesus. Jesus. Because James was writing to Jews, he references this guy named Abraham. And if you know the story of Abraham in Genesis 22, you know that God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, the only son he had, the son he'd waited for over a hundred years for. God says, take your son up to the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him to me. So Abraham takes Isaac up to the mountain, but on the way, Abraham's servants are like, where are you all going? And Abraham says, me and the boy are going to sacrifice to God, but then we'll come back to you. The text, the language that he uses is very important. It's demonstrating his faith. Go look it up. Read Genesis 22. He says, we'll come back to you. The faith that Abraham was, that Abraham had, was that God's going to do something He might raise him from the dead. I don't know, but we'll come back to you. It's a dynamic kind of faith. This was a hero to the Jews, Abraham. That's why he brings his faith into this story. He says a dynamic kind of faith is a faith like Abraham stepping out because he knew that God would work it out. It's actually point number two. A dynamic faith works out. Dynamic faith works out i'm not talking about like lifting weights getting in cardio dynamic faith doesn't push you to the gym or to leg day okay not that that any of that is bad but uh you it's not what i'm talking about here what i mean by works out is what paul talked about in philippians 2 when he said work out your salvation with fear and trembling in other words show me some proof of your salvation James says it this way in verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. This word justified means to take, make yourself right, to be made right. So you work things out to be made right. So I'll give you an example. If you have a debt and you pay off that debt, you make that debt good, what have you done? You've justified yourself with your, credit, with your creditor. You've made yourself right. But that word justified can also mean to prove yourself right. And so if I said to you, justify that statement, what am I saying? Am I saying, make it true? No, I'm saying, demonstrate to me that it's true. Prove to me that it's true. Give me evidence that it's true. I'm not saying make it true. It's the same way with this word that James uses, justified. When we're justified by works, he means it's our works that prove we're right with God. A mere profession of faith isn't enough to prove that you're really right with God. You have to show some changes within your life. So let me ask you, are you continually making changes in your life for God's glory? Is your trajectory up and to the right? Because we'll never be perfect. We'll never always get it right. Our journey is going to be up and down, but are you going to the right and up? Have you matured since you've met Jesus? Can you look back at where your faith started and to where your faith is now and think, yes, I've grown? you have some faith goals to help you mature? One of mine is just to read through the Bible every year, entire Bible. It's a Monday through Friday reading plan. I don't even have to read on the weekend. It takes like 15 to 20 minutes a day. You're telling me you can't find 15 to 20 minutes? You tell me that reading through the Bible in a year couldn't do you some good? I I promise you, it can. What's your goal? Quit smoking, quit drinking, quit lusting, quit watching that crap on your computer. I don't know, whatever it is for you. But you need to set some faith goals and work out your faith. Your faith should cause you to get closer to Jesus with how you act and how you respond in life. Here's the last thing. Dynamic faith speaks out. Dynamic faith speaks out. Now, James is going to attack speech and your tongue specifically in the next chapter, James chapter 3. So we're going to talk about that more next week, so I'm not going to dive into too much of that here. I'll just say this. You've maybe heard the phrase, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. What I'm telling you is you need to use words. Yes, and amen to showing people faith and doing good things. But at some point, you need to articulate why you're doing those things and how Jesus can change their life because he's changed yours. You need to speak. You need to invite people to encounter Jesus. And if, it's, if that's done through this place, great, let's team up. I promise you, we'll never do anything weird to put off someone who's never heard about Jesus. We'll always try and make this a safe place for those that need to hear about Jesus for the first time. So if you can't articulate your faith in a way that you feel like could be helpful, then great, bring them here. But at some point, you need to speak out, and we're going to learn how we can do that more next week but the bottom line is dynamic faith does speak out and we're going to learn all about that next week above all else remember this we're saved by faith alone but not by a faith that remains alone your faith should push you into doing some things in jesus name you with me let's pray god thank you for this time together For the opportunity that we have just to come, open up your word, hear from Scripture from you. God, I believe that you want to change people's life. That everything within Scripture is not meant to repress us or keep us from anything, but rather to give us the fullness of joy that can only be found in you. God, I know there's some people here this morning that need to jump into this pool of the gospel and to swim about and take that step of faith to know that you're enough for them, that you want to give them freedom, that you've got a purpose for their life. It's going to lead them to their joy if they'll just be brave enough to take that first step. God, I know there's others that just need to know what their next step is. So I just pray that you speak into their life. Show them how they can continue to mature in their faith. Show them how they can speak out. Bring a person to mind right now that they need to speak out to, that they've got a relationship with them. And they need to share your love. Do something for them. We thank you we praise you. We love you, Jesus. We're most thankful for this free gift of salvation.